You may have listened to us yesterday as we were bringing you that breaking story uh, about the Gray Street Mosque flats that were on fire yesterday. And of course, just a day later, residents are obviously counting the costs after those 14 flats were destroyed during the blaze in this historical Juma Masjid Trust Madrasa in Durban. Now, you may know from looking at the pictures that the two-story building houses several flats, shops and the largest mosque in the Southern Hemisphere. Uh, thankfully, the Juma Masjid the Mosque is unaffected, but many of the residents there would now be homeless essentially. Historian Dr. Vashna Jagannath joins me for a bit more background on this precinct. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Dr. Jagannath. Thank you so much for your time today. Why is this area and the mosque in particular of historical significance? Um, good, good afternoon, Jihan, and good afternoon to your listeners. Um, yes, no, I think it is a very important part of the history, uh, not just of KwaZulu-Natal, and not just of the Indian community and Muslim community in particular, but it it, it evolved. That precinct and the mosque, mosque itself evolved with the history of the modern history of South Africa, the development of Durban as a state as well. The mosque was first built um, uh, in, eight, in, 18, in, eight, in the 1870s, and it was built by migrant uh, Muslim entrepreneurs who had arrived in South Africa along with those first waves of indentured Indians that came between 1860 and 1870s. Mm. And what happens is a lot that the influx of Indians coming into KwaZulu-Natal to work in the sugarcane plantations led to a variety of different um, sort of um, laws coming into place, discriminatory laws coming into into place about the Asian menace. So this idea that Indians were going to flock into KwaZulu-Natal and they were dangerous to the white population that was in existence there, who had already to contend with the indigenous native Zulu population. So there was all of this stuff. And though that particular precinct and area then was marked out as a space in the city, both during the colonial period and continued into the apartheid area as a space for black South Africans, that's African Indian and colored. And it became a central space of trade, of transport, of, you know, prayer, of worship, of mercantile sort of endeavors, of all of those things. The markets are in that area. The very famous vegetable fish markets and meat markets are in that area. It became the central hub for black people in Durban to be able to be transported to and from the CBD or anywhere else that they had wanted to go in that city. I think you've covered that colonial period so beautifully. Uh, but of course, mm-hmm. it, it gained, that area gained a certain interesting significance again pre-apartheid, didn't it? And I suppose post-apartheid as well. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, in, in what sense are you speaking to? In what sense are you referring to? I, I'm, I'm referring to just as, as a hub of, of all the, uh, the as, as a melting pot of so many cultures, so many yes, uh, religions, exactly. creeds and so forth, but also uh, of, of a, a space that has been recorded so well in, in, in literature by writers like Aziz Hassim. Yes, absolutely. And it had an incredible cultural space and the religious space. Um, in fact, in addition to the mosque, you have the very famous cathedral in that area. You also have the very old cemetery where people who were far more linked to Sufi, Sufi forms of Islamic practices at the Muslim cemetery had uh, appeared there, which was up to, which was a, appeared like a burial mound to a saint, where they would go and have uh, rituals and prayers and lots of amazing cultural practices. I remember as a young girl, even under apartheid, on New Year's Day, going to get blessings with my older members of our family to these various places. 
So it was incredibly interesting. You also, what you had um, happening is the mosque itself, you know, becomes the central place for many people within the Muslim community to come around, to commune, to build community around. That is the role of a mosque in the Muslim community, drawing on the life of the Prophet Muhammad. But more than that, what it does is the mosque and retraces history actually demonstrates how in different periods it had different significance because the mosque itself at first was built by rich traders that come in. And then there's contestation for people who are not rich, who are from the indentured communities, or people who are then later on just before apartheid and during apartheid who are colonial born, who also wanted to gain access to the mosque and be part of the mosque community. So there was those contestations. And then the ways in which Islam comes to look very different in South Africa, because people come to tend to worship in one type of mosque, which is open to all different sorts of Muslims who come from different parts of India, speak different languages, and have small variations in how they practice Islam. And that is very similar to the story of Indians in general in South Africa, who come from different parts of India, but become homogenized in a variety of ways and look very different to Indian communities in India. But that then creates a whole new way of living and cosmopolitanism that might, that, that's new. I'm not saying it's not there in India, but it's new and different. Yes. And in relation to the local constantly... Uh, Vashna, what happens in the case of a heritage building like this that's partially destroyed in a fire of this nature? Is it possible to rebuild it in in the way one would want to? Well, I think what is interesting, well, you know, it is partially destroyed. Thankfully not, the entire thing has been destroyed. I don't know if any of you listeners or yourself, Joanne, have actually gone into the mosque. It's incredibly beautiful. Uh, You know, that area of Durban, even till today, is so busy. It's so of noise and it's always packed with people, always things happening, street traders and so on. And you just walk off the street and into this little like archway and when you walk into the mosque, it's absolutely quiet, silent, beautiful, absolutely amazing space in this buzzing city. And it's so lovely. So what I think would be a, a way, they could restore it depending on what the trustees would like to do. But you know, the mosque itself has evolved over years. And they have changed styles of it. So this could be a moment to rethink how to incorporate some contemporary features to the damaged part. That's also something that people could do. Then the story of the mosque tells the story of the mosque through the ages, through its architecture. Because right. initially it was just a brick building. And then you added onto it. And then in 1927, you had a set of architects who built it in a particular way. And then Bruce... Uh, Barber, by, in 1943, he creates a new, new features to the mosque that is also very unique and drawing on what was happening in the union politics and union architecture of the day in South Africa. That's why various people come to look, not just at the mosque, but that whole section of Durban where a lot of the buildings have very unique features. Some of it actually even incorporating art deco features yes. and combining it with traditional Islamic architectural features. So it's actually very unique. So it tells the story of the different periods. So perhaps now there could be a call to restore it exactly, or there could be a a desire to say, well, you know, let's add something that's from now. 
So that's also attached to a part of the mosque because we haven't lost the entire heritage of it. You know, what you're saying actually occurs to me to be so interesting because uh, on the one hand, it reminds us that that history is never static. You know, we we keep moving Mm -hmm. forward into the future, even though these monuments that mark our our history and our our culture uh, remain static. Uh, But but of course, even a blaze that destroys part of the precinct forms a part of that history, traumatic though it may be, doesn't it, Dr. Jagannath? Yes, absolutely. And that's why I always... Find, I always think for me, and this is just my own opinion, and I'm not an architect, um, I think that for me, you build into that trauma and into that narrative of history, of a place, of a building. You build that into it. You don't erase it. You don't silence it. Yes. It's there, but you make something beautiful out of it. You know, there's this beautiful thing that a lot of people in Palestine do. And, you know, houses are getting bombed all the time in Palestine or destroyed. And what people do is they... They, they, re- they keep alive old forms of art by building it very smallly on floors, like in front of the houses. Even if it's been like destroyed or sheltered out, just to create some beauty, even in the difficulty, even in the ugliness. So you keep alive beauty, you keep alive creativity, but you're also remembering that there was destruction here. So that could be like, you know, coming out of the flames, like the rising of a phoenix, rather than an end of something. And so, you know, having that dialogical relationship with the building allows us perhaps to be able to do that in various ways. And in some ways, uh, places like in parts of Germany have done that with certain buildings that they have, um, that they needed to redo and rethink the role of its power. Instead of destroying it, they've recreated lots of lighting to it or something to revision it. And I think we don't do that enough in South Africa. We don't even, for example, our union buildings re-envision it in any new way. Uh, keep the buildings, but re-envision, re-envision add-ons that can mark these changes towards something better. Beautiful ideas there. Thank you so much for sharing them with us, Dr. Vashna Jagannath, historian.